Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. For those of you that haven't been with us, man, we're in the middle of a series called FOMO, The Fear of Missing Out. I just want to dive right into it. If you're ready, let's buckle up. We're going to actually get into Genesis. Going to be in an amazing time today studying on Father's Day. Who better to study than Father Abraham? But I want to get you caught up. I'm not going to go back and re-preach previous podcasts, but I just it's important to set the stage. I think the fear of missing out is something that all of us deal with. I think it's a struggle that a lot of us have. I think one of the reasons why we have that is because we have in our minds two things that make us struggle. Number one, we believe that the choices that we make are going to make us miss out on something. And realize there is a concept of who Christ is and Christ being Lord of your life. And without that choice of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will never have everything that God has for you. You'll never have life and life more abundantly. But not only the choices we make, but we do this comparison game. We start looking around at all the things in our life, and we have this fear of missing out because we look at our neighbor, we look at their social media, we look at something that they're doing, and we're going, I don't have that. Why do I not have that? And it really boils down to three areas. This is what we talked about in week two. It really boils down to three areas. We all have three areas that we have a fear of missing out on. We have a fear of missing out what's ours, a fear of missing out on opportunities, and a fear of missing out on others, relationships. Well, I want to go to the next step, step three in this series, and I want us to identify that there probably is something that we really are fearful of that's a part of all of our lives, and I think it's where all of us sit, and we're going to talk about Father Abraham, and it really helped us, and it's not just a message for dads. It's actually not even a message for dads. It's God's Word. But I just thought it would be a real good time to study this in this series on Father's Day. So can I pray? Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to celebrate you. Lord, we do celebrate dads. We celebrate all those dads that are doing what you called them to do. But we also pray for those that maybe are going through some different things or maybe their aspect of who their father is in their life may be a little bit of a struggle. And Lord, I hope that today that they understand that no matter where they are with their earthly father, that every one of us has a heavenly father that today we can celebrate. You are more than just a good, good father. You are the best father. Thank you for loving us well. Thank you for helping us. I pray that you'll help your word speak louder than my mouth. And it'll be something that will motivate us to love you better and to love people. Shame we pray. Amen. Well, in order to understand this, I would like to give a little bit of a synopsis. And we're going to end up in Genesis chapter 12. But to understand what I'm talking about, that I think we all have a fear of something that really holds us back when we talk about the fear of missing out. Before I get to that kind of aha moment, I want to kind of set it up and give you an understanding of, of one aspect of Abraham's life that I think will define it. But before I get to that, I need to kind of give you a synopsis of Abraham. Now, Abraham starts in Genesis chapter 12, and it goes all the way to Genesis chapter 25. Well, I like this thing called lunch, and I want to be able to eat lunch, so therefore I'm not going to start reading in chapter 12 and go all the way to verse 20 in chapter 25. But I do want to kind of paraphrase and kind of let you remember some of the aspects of Abraham's life so that when I get to the point where I tell you this is the thing he struggled with the most, it'll make sense. For like most of us, we think about Father Abraham, we think about that title, and we do think about this aspect of children, two children that we particularly remember. We remember Ishmael, who was born from Hagar. Hagar was Sarai before she became Sarah. Abraham was Abram before his name was changed. And I'll give you some references here in a minute. But basically, his wife was barren. 
He knows that he's had this. Let me just simply read it. It'll help set the stage. It's chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make for you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whom who, he whom dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God speaks to Abram and gives him this aspect that he's going to be the father of many nations. The only issue is Sarai, who he marries, his wife is barren and not able to have children. Now, I don't know about you, but if God told me that I was going to be the father of many nations, even in his scripture he talks about how you can't see it all with the stars, all this is going to happen, and I don't have any children, that's going to cause an issue, right? I'm trying to figure out either I misheard God or God's fixing to do something. And for most of us, that's really the story we know about Abraham. We know about him. We know about Hagar, the Egyptian slave, to his wife Sarai, and how she told her, him to lay with her, and she gets pregnant, has Ishmael. And then later on at the age of 100, she gets pregnant with Abraham's child, and he's 100 years old, and they have Isaac. Now, there's actually, if you go to chapter 25 at the very beginning, there's another wife that Abraham had after his wife Sarai had passed away, who is now Sarah. If you're confused, just hang with me. There's a thing called the Bible. You can read that too. It'll tell you a lot about what I'm talking about. And it talks about how he has six other sons. But here's the point I want you to get. As crazy as all that is, like here's a married man that's called by God to be the father of many nations whose wife says, I can't give you children. Well, here's what I want you to do. Go sleep with the Egyptian slave. So he sleeps with the Egyptian slave. She gets pregnant. Now the wife is like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's what I want you to do, but now I have this jealousy because she can give you something that I can't have. So now she's hating her. Now God's speaking to the Egyptian slave. Like, all of that, I don't know about you, but you're like, that's kind of crazy. Like, how is God in that? As much as all that's going on and God is still moving in their lives despite all these choices, that's not the biggest thing that he dealt with. Some of you may remember the story that he had Isaac. And all of a sudden, God told him to take Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him. It was a test. In fact, if you were to look at the actual scripture to figure out exactly where it was at, it'd be in chapter 22. But he literally turns around and he takes Isaac and he makes him get wood. They start hiking up this mountain. Isaac's even asking him like, hey, Dad, uh, what are we sacrificing? I got this wood. I got this knife. I don't see anything. He's starting to figure out like uh, one plus two plus nothing else. I think I'm going to be the same. You know, what are we sacrificing? And God ties him, in, or God doesn't, but Abraham ties him, puts him on the altar, and right before uh, he gets ready to sacrifice him, God says, whoa, do not lay a hand on this child. And again, he reiterates to him that you're going to be the father of many nations and talk about this promise that he has over Isaac. He looks over in the thistles, and he sees a ram there. Like, that's the Abraham we're talking about. Now, I don't know about you, but if I struggle to have children with my wife, we finally had a child, and then God said, now go sacrifice that child, that would be a really big deal that still wasn't the biggest thing that almost kept him from missing out. In fact, if you even just look at his journey, because he's known as Father Abraham, because he's the one that takes them out of Egypt into what ends up being the promised land with Canaan. I mean, let me just give you a little bit of backdrop. Are you ready? 
Two different times, he looks at Sarah, his wife, because of her beauty. He says, if anybody asks, you tell them you're my sister. So when he goes into Egypt and the people see him and the Pharaoh sees him, Pharaoh hears about them. I think this is in chapter 12, 13. And he literally says, nope, that's my sister. So Pharaoh's like, hey, I'm going to take her as my wife. She's beautiful. Then he does that with, with another king. He does this twice. He literally takes his wife and says, uh, nope, that's my sister. And she goes with somebody else. But God protects her where she doesn't lay with anybody. Those people end up understanding that they really are husband and wife, whether they're looking out a window and see them laughing and cutting up or whether it's something else. And they come to him and they say, why did you do this to me? I love Pharaoh's response in chapter 13. What have I done to you that you would do this to me? And Abraham's response was, well, I was afraid you would kill me. Like, I don't know about you, but that, this seems like a crazy story. You know, I mean, it'd be like me with Amy Lou being like, okay, Amy, listen, you know, we're, we're getting started and we're doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, I, I, you know because of your beauty, just so you know, if, if we go downtown and somebody asks, I'm like, huh, I don't want somebody to hurt me. You just tell them, you know, we're, you're my sister. Like, you own your own, girl. Like, who would do that, Right? Like, this story is crazy. But none of these are the biggest thing that he deals with. None of these attributes are the thing that almost keeps him from missing out. And it is absolutely shocking to me. Side note, with it being Father's Day, to show you how much this aspect of what he did with Sarah, he ends up having a child, Isaac, who marries Rebecca. And if you read, I believe it's in chapter 27, all of a sudden they're going back to this same land where this king Abimelech is. And when they go in there, she gets approached because of her beauty. Guess what Isaac says about his wife? That's my sister. He mimics exactly what he saw his dad do for two times. Just a little side note if you want to know if your kids are watching, Dad. But like this, this aspect of what they're doing. Like all the craziness, none of that in this amazing story from chapter 12 to verse 25 was the turning point for Abraham. It's not the reason why we stomp around and seeing Father Abraham. I'll give you a little bit more information, more than you need. If you want to know one of the issues that's going on in the Middle East, it's the story of Abraham. You have Isaac, which you know now as the Jews, and you have all the Arab families which you know is Ishmael and these other six brothers from chapter 25. Like everybody's like, we want peace in the Middle East. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. It's a biblical conflict that started with Father Abraham because he had so many sons. But do you know that was the biggest thing he dealt with? As crazy as all that stuff is, None of those things were the things that were a part of his life that almost kept him from missing out. The first thing I want you to mentally check in with me for, God is not consumed with all the things that you think he's consumed with. 
Like I could go even more. I, I literally wrote two pages of notes, but for time, I'm not going to read all these different, of just things that was a part of Abraham's life. The one that everybody calls Father Abraham, the birth of the Jews, the one that has Isaac, who ends up having Jacob and Esau, who there's this reverse blessing that Jacob steals it, and all these things, who Jacob is later on is called Israel, and where we get the nation of Israel, like the Jewish people, like this guy had issues. But his issues weren't the biggest issue that almost kept him from missing out. So if you're with me, I want you to join with me, whether you're on a tablet, on your phone, or if you have a paperback. In chapter 11, I want us to look at one simple person that almost kept what we know as Father Abraham from ever being who he was. And ironically enough, it was Abraham's dad. Can I set this up a little bit? You've got a little bit of a, of a genealogy that's going on right now in Genesis chapter 11. We've had the flood that's taken place. You had Noah's children from, from this one particular son. There's going to come this lineage. Yes, Father Abraham, if we take his lineage and go all the way out, that's where we end up getting King David. Ultimately, we get our Messiah, King Jesus, like this amazing lineage goes back to Father Abraham. That's why we call him Father Abraham. And you have all this conflict. But prior to him being Abraham, he had a dad. And his dad got stuck. Because, see, we hear a lot of story about Abraham and Lot. And a lot of people confuse Lot as Abraham's son. But the reality is, is Lot was Abraham's nephew. Let me just read it for you. Are you ready? You'll have to bear with me when I get to some of these names. We'll do the best we can. But Terah took Abraham, or Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran. So just so you'll know, Haran was Abram's brother, Abraham's biological brother. Terah was their father. The problem is, is Haran died. And when he died, Abram's father told him, Take Lot and take care of him. Keep going. So Terah took Abram and his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, that's where his son had died, the land in which his son had died. When they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and he died in Haran. You say, Mickey, what's the point? There's a huge point. I just read for you what almost got him stuck. See, Abraham's father hit a major tragedy in his life. It was the death of one of his sons. And even though God had called him to go to the land of Canaan, the same that he ends up calling Abraham to be the father of many nations, he had called Terah to do that prior. But on the journey to Canaan, they go through this place in which he reminisces about his son, Haran, which was the name of his son, the land that he owned. And when he goes there, he starts reminiscing about where his son's at, what's going on, the death of his son, and he gets stuck and never moves forward. In fact, he ends up dying there. And after his death, then God calls Abram to leave that place 
and go finish what God had called to set up his people. You say, Mickey, what is the point? Here's the point. Listen to me. I think a lot of people don't have a fear of missing out. They have a fear of moving on. I think a lot of people don't have a fear of missing out. They have a fear of moving on. They've had life hit them in different situations. Listen to me. It's Father's Day. I want to be so sensitive. I am, a na- I am not about to tell anybody if you've had the tragedy of losing one of your children that, that that is not what the point of this message is. I'm just giving you a biblical account to let you understand the moment that everything changed in Abram's life was not all the craziness that we read about from chapter 12 to chapter 25. It's actually at the end of chapter 11 where he has to make a decision to let go and to move forward. I think for most of us, the reason why we're not experiencing all the things that God has for our life is because we're still hanging on to something. We're stuck. We're immobilized. We're asking God to do something amazing and to, to make these ways and, and do this stuff in our life and to help us to see what he's doing and to have some sort of understanding. And, and we want something so much bigger. We want this life and life more abundantly. God, I want to be obedient. God, I want to do these things. But I'm not going to move. I've got too much right here that I can't get past. I had a professor in seminary that said a rut is nothing but a grave dug out on both ends. And if you stay there long enough, you're going to die. That's what happened to Tara. I'm not going to justify or explain away. I can't imagine losing a son. I can't imagine going back through the land that you know was your son. I can't imagine sitting in that moment. It would be real easy I go up to a place called Gallatin Road in Nashville. And every time I get close to it, there's the Nashville Cemetery, the Tennessee Cemetery. It is a special place for me. Why? Because that's where my father's buried. And there's something about any time I get close to that that it just kind of takes me back very quickly in the fact that, you know what? My dad and what we had and the things that we went through and the things that we've done And if I'm not careful, the closer I get to Gallatin Road, do you know what I get? Stuck. I start thinking about the trials. For those of you who don't know, my father committed suicide right before I turned 13. When he was sober, he was an amazing man. The problem is, most of the time, he was not. And it wasn't just alcohol, but there were other things in his life. And it got to a point where it was very, very tough for us to continue to live in the same presence with him. And though my mama very, very willingly tried her best and prayed over him for 15 years, I cannot believe that she stayed in that abusive relationship for that long. Finally said, you know what, we can no longer be here. And after that divorce, he got clean, he accepted Christ. It was awesome, but he had a breaking point because there's still consequences for your actions. And he called my mother up and said, is there ever a chance we'll get back together? She said no, and on the phone he shot himself. We buried him two days before I turned 13. On September the 5th of 1989 is when he committed suicide. You say, Mickey, how do you deal with that? You mourn, you hurt, you struggle, and you move on. 
Can I ask you a personal question? What's in your life that's got you stuck? Like when you think about Abraham and everything that we celebrate and, and who he is, and, and despite, I told you some of the craziness, right? I told you some of the craziness, sleeping with the Egyptian slave because his wife warned him to, having the struggles, almost sacrificing his son, going through all these things, calling his wife his sister, giving her up freely to some other person. Luckily, she's protected and doesn't sleep with those people and stays, like, all this crazy. Like, I'm not telling you life's just like butterflies and rainbows. Sometimes life's teetotal hell. Like, sometimes it just all breaks loose, Right? And sometimes when it all breaks loose, you know what we do? We're like the ultimate Georgia fan, right? Hunker down, dogs. And we never get back up. And that's why you're missing out. You don't have a fear of missing out. You've got a fear of moving on. And I think today it's time for all of us to get a whole bunch of freedom. Can I tell you? somebody that's lived it, that's walking through it, that has walked through it, there are things in your life that you can't control. There's things in your life that it's not because of your choices. There's things in your life that you know what, there are other people in your life that are making choices and they affect more than themselves. What does that mean for you? It means you love Christ, you know who he is, you know he has a plan for you, a plan to prosper and not to harm, a plan to give you hope and a future, and you pick it up and you start stepping more towards him because he tells us that if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And you realize where the hope lies. The hope doesn't lie in trying to fix something that's broken. You're not called to be the fixer. You're called to be the person that moves on. So I don't know what your past is like. For some of you, I hurt with you because I always struggle. Mother's Day and Father's Day and these different holidays, I always struggle because for some of you, I did not experience this. But I know for some of you, Father's Day is a very, very tough day because your father, for whatever reason, abused you sexually. Left when you were a baby. Has not been there for you in your life. In fact, some of the choices you have made is still trying to chase and get that love that you never got from your father. You said, Mickey, what do I do about that? Can I encourage you to go to the greatest father I know? Can I tell you to, to draw into a God that calls himself a father that says, and I will adopt them, I will call them sons and daughters of the king? I remember growing up, and I would go to church, an amazing church. It was First Baptist Mount Juliet. We'd have Sunday school, and they'd get to Father's Day, and they'd sit there and talk about, man, God's your dad. It's so awesome. He wants to be your dad. And I'm going, no, thank you. Like my perception, like when somebody said they were going home to get a whooping, I thought, oh, dang. I didn't realize that what I thought was normal wasn't normal. Listen to me. You being stuck's not normal. It may be your reality, but it's not God's plan for you. Today is a day of no longer fearing, moving on.
I think God's got a promised land to get you to. And I think it's going to affect more than just you. I think there is a legacy that's going to be a part of your life. Like he has a promised land, a life that he wants your children and your children's children and their children, like this legacy to be in your life. But it's going to take you moving forward, moving on and saying, you know what? I will always remember this hurt. I will always have some of these struggles. I'm not going to act like I've got it all together. But here's what I will do. I'm not going to stay in this land just to die. So I wonder where you are. I'll be honest with you. I closed this because that's not in my notes today. I just think it's what God wants us to hear. When you're stuck, you're immobilized. You're not doing nothing. And literally what you're in the process of doing is you're not living. You're dying. But if you want to live, it's an action, right? Living's not existing. Living's not, not well, if I, just, if I just go to bed and wake up and go to bed and wake up and go to bed and wake up, and at the end of this, all of a sudden, it's all going at the end of the life, it's just going to, woo, wow. What a, that's not what life's about. Life's about dealing with the hurts, dealing with the trials, dealing with the struggles, dealing with the ups and the downs, dealing with the people that love you well and the people that talk behind your back. Dealing with the friends that you have that are awesome and amazing and dealing with the people that feel like you want to, they just want to seek, kill, and destroy you. It's about identifying all those different people. And no matter which way they're coming at you, you say, despite the way you treat me, I know God's called me to love you. You say, Mickey, what happens if a group of people do that? God breaks out. You may tell you how spiritual revivals have happened in America. It's not through some great oracle, some guy standing on a dock, a Wesleyan brother, or somebody proclaiming. It was a group of people loving people as they arrived. Being there for people when they're hurting. Grabbing people by the hand saying, man, I know it's tough and you're stuck and you feel like you're in quicksand. But you can come forward. Just let's go. Can I walk with you? I'm not talking about that. Don't listen. I never underestimate prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we have. But for most of us, it's really our excuse. Man, I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm going to pray for you. That's your way of ending the conversation to never think about it again. And for some of you, that's where you're sitting. You got in the middle of all hell breaking loose in your life, and you had somebody, maybe even at a church, that came up to you and was like, oh, hey, you know, we are so sorry you're going through this. Hey, we're going to pray for you. They don't want you to pray for them, though they do. What they want you to do is walk with them. To grab them and say, I refuse to let you to die in this land. We are going to the promised land. You are going with me. I think about some of our soldiers. I think about the way they serve. And one of their biggest mantras is what? 
No man left behind. Church, what would it look like if we understood that and we said, you know what? I refuse to let this life leave anybody behind. I don't care if I got to pick you up, throw you over my shoulder, if I got to carry you, if I'm getting shots as we're going, if I'm getting wounded, come hell or high water, we're getting to where we got to go. We're going to win this battle. It's called life. And at the end, we will go, you know what? I had it. I had it more abundantly. But can I tell you again? It's not going to happen if you have a fear of moving on. So I got one simple question. When are you going to move? For some of you in just a minute, this is more than a stage. This becomes the altar. And for some of you, God's calling you to move. You say, man, I ain't doing that. I ain't getting that. Listen, I don't care. I'm not going to beg you. Like, I don't know if you realize today, I'm kind of in a little bit of a different mindset right now because I'm done begging. Like, I'm telling you, God's in the middle of fixing to break out something amazing, and it would be awesome to have you be a part of that. But it's not going to happen with you staying stuck. You're going to have to move. You say, Mickey, you're going to look bad at me if I don't move. I I can pray in my chair. I ain't worried about you, bro. If you knew what was in my head and the things in my heart and the things I was dealing with, man, I ain't worried about you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I probably want more for you than you want for yourself. But I know as a church, it's time for us to move. It's time for us to go get what God's got for us and not have a fear of missing out because we were too worried to move forward. Like, launch was awesome. And it's been almost four years. And it's been one heck of a start. But it'd be a terrible finish. I ain't staying here. It's time to go. And I want to know who's going with me. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.